In a world where nerds are brutally hunted for sport, three handsome geeks must take a stand. Our brave heroes, Christian, Andrew, and Johnny, will suit up, mobilize their forces, and lead the nerdy revolution. From the producers of Rocky 12 and Terminator Lethargy comes the blockbuster podcast you didn't know you needed. The Nerd Cup Extreme Vengeance. Okay, stop, stop, stop. Is that good? Is that good? Did you get your timings right? Yeah, timings are great. Timings are great. I don't think really that sounds very much like yeah, us. Yeah, I don't think that's what we're doing. Could be. We could be pretty extreme. Extreme. <laughs> <laughs> On their way to Nerd Boy, they'll fight mythical beasts, robotic ninjas, and a miniature Samuel Jackson. Right, so what are we actually doing? You mean apart from Star Wars? Apart from Star Wars, we've got Batman, Marvel, Spider-Man, Zack Snyder... Characters that should stay dead, favourite nerdy TV shows, future of the DCEU, our favourite MCU film, The Simpsons, Watchmen, X-Men, our favourite Superman, best animated superhero series, and lots, lots more. Okay, what they said, The Nerd Cut, coming May 4th, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to this dangerous podcast. My name is Johnny Maunders. I am joined by Mr. Bertie Trow. Say hello, Mr. Bertie Trow. Hello, hello. We're also joined by DJ. By she's muted herself, or slash I have muted her because she's driving, but she will be joining us properly later. But don't worry, she can. She can hear hear us. It sounds really terrible. It sounds like we've like locked her in a cage or something. <laughs> what she's feeling from her facial expression. She's smiling. She is. Yeah. Laughing. But but you don't forget that our listeners don't actually know, can't actually see DJ's face. So. I have to narrate it to them. Narrate it. This just sounds creepy, but that sounds very creepy now. I wish you didn't narrate it. DJ is is back after a two week absence. A what's it what's it called when people like leave work for like a year? A sabbatical. Gardening leave. Gardening leave. Yeah, DJ's had a good gardening leave for two weeks. Gardening leave is bad though, isn't it? Gardening leave is that when you can't sack someone, but you basically remove them. Something like that. It's it's yeah. So it's I like not, to th- it's not for gardening. That's what I learned. <laughs> I actually used to think it was. I used to think it was. I, did, I, remember, yeah. I remember like football. It's like oh, such and such, the manager of such and such is on gardening leave. I was like, well, that's nice of them to pay him while he's tending well, to his. What are the other types of leave you have? You've got you know like annual leave, holiday. You've got um, compassionate leave when someone dies, right? And then gardening leave. It just doesn't tell you anything. Or is it gardening leaves? You know, like leaves for gardening. <laughs> I don't know just completely throws you really yeah it's odd i think it's called gardening leave because because effectively people are paid to be at home so they just end up gardening because that's what people that's probably what it is actually that's what adults do anyway that actually probably is what it means that's what old people do when they're not working i know i certainly don't garden when i'm working got better things to do than garden yeah like wanking um and planking and planking yes okay i'm here did you just hear I might turn off in a minute. She I'm heard wanking, wanking and she she unmuted. <laughs> so gardening, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so yeah, good of us. Good for you to be very DJ. You could say hello. Oh, wait, wait. She's gone again. Gone again. She's going through the drive-through now. She's going through the motions. But let's let's talk about our last episode actually, because our last last episode with Shardia Edwards Dash D is our record-breaking episode had the most listeners we've ever had. Smashed it's pretty it. good. We're on like a, we're on a trend, an upward trend. Well, as we were saying, we had, we had Vladimir Putin yeah. tuned in for that episode and all of his cronies. So that's, that's probably the difference. So I reckon. It's not because DJ was not there that week. Uh, also, I've decided that every time we have a guest now, we're going to ask them about the whole Kit Kat and tea thing, because that became a bit of a thing after the last episode about whether you dip your Kit Kat and tea, because I just still think that's crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think... <laughs> Another way you took it, you're like, what the fuck is he talking about? Yeah, no, no, because I almost forgot about that section. But, like, honestly, I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, whoa. I mean, I feel like it's a coffee thing, maybe. But even then, like... Hot chocolate. Yeah. I'll allow hot chocolate. That's nice. Yeah, that's yeah, fine. Hot chocolate's fine. It's, it's just, like, the concept of putting it in a watery, slightly kind of... 
Pepe's tea. I, I just, and yeah, um, just no. But when DJ returns, we'll ask her whether she does that with Kit Kats and tea. I, I, DJ strikes me as the kind of person that doesn't like Kit Kats, actually. And then we'll talk about our main shababa de boop I don't know why I just called it shababa de boop but that sounds like a thing. Wait, uh, what kind of Kit Kats? Normal Kit Kats? And what was the other one? Uh, Kit Kats, like normal Kit Kats, or Kit Kat Chunky. I've never heard of a Kit Kat Chunky. Kit Kat Chunky oh, is like a thick one, where it's like one bit. Oh, like it's like a normal chocolate bar, but it's a Kit Kat, right? You make it to one big bar? Yes. The normal, the normal Kit Kat is like when it's like the little fingers. I mean, I prefer the normal, but whatever, Kit Kat's Kit Kat. Would you dip a Kit Kat into tea? I would, yeah, why not? I mean, it's a wafer. It depends how soft the chocolate is. Yeah. Like if it's melted or not. That's or... my problem. Shadia didn't, didn't give us this distinction, did she? I feel like categorically it is a wafer, but it's a chocolate-covered wafer, which is still... Sometimes I put even like chocolate biscuits in the refrigerator so they don't get too soft before I dip them in my tea. You get a nice hard chocolate. I don't dip anything in my tea. I don't know. I, I just, I, I just, I'd rather dip something in coffee. It tastes nicer. No, stuff in coffee tastes good too actually chocolate and coffee go really well together they do, they do. that is true that is true a mocha oh yeah living la vida mocha let's move on to our shababadi boop let's ah. do the shababadi shababadi boop shababadi boop the main crux of our the main crux of our episode this week we're going to be talking about sort of the European Super League crap that happened at the beginning of last week and the Sort of football capitalism in general. So to catch people up, uh, and for those who don't know a huge amount about, about football, and I promise you, it's not going to be like a big football chat. We are going to make it kind of more general. We'll try we, anyway. We will try. The biggest football teams in Europe suddenly announced the other day that they'd signed an agreement to basically start their own league together that wouldn't have any sort of like relegation or anything. Uh, the reason they did that is because they basically wanted more money. At the moment, football has like big TV deals, but they have to share it. The big clubs have to share it with the small clubs and they don't want to do that anymore. So they just want to keep all the money to themselves. So all the big clubs like Real Madrid, Manchester United, Barcelona, AC Milan, Chelsea, all those things, all those teams, a few exceptions, PSG and Bayern Munich but, and Borussia Dortmund. But apart from that, uh, all the big clubs signed up and... It was pretty crazy, wasn't it, Bode? Like, when, when that sort of got announced. Yeah, I mean, I think it came out of the blue for a lot of people who are football watchers, like myself. Football watchers. I, mean, I, I like to watch the footballs. I'm a football watcher. Did Chelsea and Man City, did they did they pull out those agreements? I feel like they signed yeah. them and then pulled out, didn't they? They Chelsea, Chelsea were the first... First to pull out. The first um, publicly to pull out. There was a rumour that basically Man City were privately the first to pull out but Chelsea yeah like okay. smartly just announced it before Man City did so but we don't know that I think smart move, I think it's fair to say that both of them were pulling out early I think I think Chelsea and Man City from the English sides were the least sort of up for it anyway I think Man United and Liverpool were I mean the this most. is the thing right okay sorry to start talking about um positions in the league table but if you're constantly hitting top four you've got no reason to want this European Super League thing. Whereas if you're one of those teams that has a lot of money, mm. uh, doesn't really do anything with it, um, not going to name any names, and then, also, fails, and then fails to get to the knockout stages of the Europa League, um, get into the Europa League at all. I also think it comes down to where the owners are from, in the sense that... They're all from the same place, Johnny. They're all Man, from- but Chelsea are owned by Russian. Man City are owned by Abu Dhabi. But the rest in that group are all owned by Americans. So, and that seems to add up because the two of those three, two of the three Italian teams that signed up are owned by Americans, I believe. Um, Right. And obviously the the Real Madrid Barcelona are not, but Real Madrid Barcelona are desperate for money anyway. So that sort of makes sense. But in America, and we were talking to DJ briefly about this before we start recording, in most American major sport, there's like no relegation. So like the NFL, you come bottom, but you don't like get relegated. That came as a massive revelation to me this week. <laughs> I, I've learned more about American sport this week than I've ever cared to know. Um, I mean, arguably, I've never watched American sports. 
nothing against them, just just why are other sports? But like, I used, yeah, I, don't know. I used to watch. I used to watch the Super Bowl. So MLS, like Major League Soccer League. Major League Soccer League. Major League Soccer League. Soccer league. league. I feel like it, you just need league on the end. I don't know. It makes no sense to have league in the middle of the thing. MLS, Major League Soccer? League. <laughs> soccer League <laughs> Majors? <laughs> league Majors. It's not important. Um, so that's just like you can come bottom every year. And yeah. then, yeah. It's, what's weird is, is that it seems to, I, I haven't done a huge amount of research on this, but from what I've read, it basically seems to be like, they almost like bid to be in the league and then it's sort of like about financials and sort of sustainability. So yeah. Yeah. You've got a big stadium and stuff. Right. And you've got some fans and you've got, you can prove that you've got enough money to survive a couple of years. Then you'll get in the MLS and then someone else done as someone, when someone else drops out. So yeah, it's kind of crazy. And we, you and I were talking about this the other day about imagining what like English football would be like if that happened. And like, you just wouldn't have like teams like Burnley or like Sheffield United in the Premier League. Yeah. And I feel like it's difficult because like those teams they add something very different and distinct to the league to the league. Yeah. And it's it's important for that level of like diversity and variety just for almost just just as the sport to get recognition and just for like like fan bases to grow because if you think about yeah, you think about for example how like Leeds City have done this year like um and then you've ended up having you say, Phillips say Leeds, you say Leeds City, Leeds Leeds City, yeah, Leeds City is that what they're called? Are they Leeds City? I don't even know. Leeds Leeds United. Are they? Oh Jesus! No, there is a Leeds City though, but I think they're about five leagues below. <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely keep it in that. Many Leeds City fans, but this is what's beautiful about about English football is that there's like. You've got the FA Cup, which is just it's such an all encapsulating competition. You could be you could be a local football player, you know, who doesn't even really play professionally, plays every weekend, maybe a couple of times a week. And you could you could make it through in theory. You could make it through to the FA Cup final and play against Man City in the final. I just think that's a beautiful thing to be celebrated. What I find sad is when. Yeah, but the clubs become, uh, you know, there's essentially a second club which encapsulates all those clubs. It's it's then just pie in the sky. It takes the local, um, the locality of the sport away because that's one of the big things about football in the UK is that it provides um, on like, yeah, it provides an amazing amount of support for people on a very local level. And I think that's something that a lot of people have suffered with without um, during the lockdown. I think a lot of people have suffered without their local football teams. Um, yeah, Johnny, your thoughts on that? Yeah, but I, th- I, th- I think, yeah, I think there's two things that sort of underpin how I, why so many people are angry. As you sort of alluded to, Bertie, football is, the great about, thing about football is anything can happen. I think it's become less like that yeah. because of money and football, but still you can have great stories. A couple of, you know, four or five years ago, whenever it was, Leicester won the Premier League and no one, there were a thousand to one. No one thought that was even remarkably possible, and yet it happened. And in this system that these owners wanted to bring in, that would never happen. So all these stories, and it's not just England that that happens, those kind of stories have happened everywhere. And again, the thing is about the Super League, it's so completely arbitrary, like the teams that are in it. Tottenham, Tottenham, Arsenal, Man City, none of those three teams have ever won the European Cup. So you're saying that all they're like the biggest clubs in England. Yeah. It's... But there's the Nottingham Forest have won the European Cup twice. So are you saying that, that they are less successful than Spurs? It's one of these things, isn't it? It's like I feel like the history like there's so I feel like there's so much interesting analysis you could do on like on clubs. Spurs might be the sixth richest club in England, but that doesn't mean they're the sixth biggest club in England. Is no, it, yeah. I mean I mean it, the size the size of your club is the size of your trophy cabinet. That's what it comes down to. And like Spurs have have got yeah, they've got less less silverware than Deli Ali has pubic hair. Um, <laughs> Do you know about that for sure? Well, uh, I, I'm just saying. I'm just alluding to the fact that he's. Can I just say quite, quite DJ's, a face on him. DJ's eating uh, a pan of chocolate, and I feel very jealous. Oh, <laughs> coffee and a pan of chocolate. Yes, please. You can tell that she's lived in France. I would dip that. I would dip that in my coffee. I would too. Yes, I would. Well, yes, we talk, we talk about pan of chocolates now, are we? Yeah, 
I mean, I think we can all agree that European Super League. Except Starbucks calls it a chocolate croissant and it pisses me off. Oof, that's so American. I've seen that in England. People call it chocolate croissants. It's really annoying. The other, the other thing that I think a lot of fans are angry about. And again, this is something that's been happening for a while, but I think this Super League thing really underlined it, is this idea, and again, it's something you alluded to, Bertie, about clubs no longer being sort of like items of, of, of locality and history. The idea of a club being your local team that, that belongs to you. This idea that actually it's a brand and that it belongs to whoever owns the brand. And that if you're the guy who owns Manchester United, then really and truly, he doesn't give a shit about you, even if your family has been going to Old Trafford since you were, since your granddad was five years old. Really and truly, you are minute, whereas we grew up to believe that we are part of it. We grew up to believe that we are just as important, if not more important, than the guy who owns, that has the contract. Mm, the Seattle... Um... The Seahawks is like they call the fans the twelfth man because you like I guess it's normally eleven players or they call the fans the twelfth man because I guess Seahawks fans are like I don't know they were like rated one year as like the some, like the loudest fans or something like that I don't know for a team some people have like twelfth man flags and things like that like it's really we're part of the team it's like okay but I mean. It's the guy that owns the team <laughs> making freaking millions. Mm. He doesn't really care about you. <laughs> we we have that saying here about the top man. I think I think and, that, and that's actually a really interesting point because I think the club that had the biggest negative reaction to all this was Liverpool. Because yeah. Liverpool have a very work as a football team, they've got a really working class history. They've basically the guy that made Liverpool a successful team was like a self-confessed socialist from a working class Scottish family and was like very socialist in like all his ideals. And, and, and Liverpool as a club is really much built as a working class club. And obviously the legacy of sort of the Hillsborough disaster and all that kind of stuff, this idea of Liverpool being a people's club and also with a manager like Jurgen Klopp, who again is in that mold, who's like a people, like he represents the people. He's not like, he's an outsider, if that makes sense. He's not like a company man. He's the sort of like, you know, the rebel. And so then for, for a club like them to then join this group, suddenly all these fans are like, hang on a minute. We're a club that, that prides itself on saying that we're the people's club. And yet, this happens. And I think, I think to be honest, people expected it of say Manchester United because they don't really have that reputation as much, but for Liverpool to do it, I think it really upset a lot of their fans. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, like Liverpool, they're not, they're not like in terms of like their, their brand and like their, their reach worldwide. It's not the same as like Man United or like, Oh, you know, they're like Man United, it, it, you know, it's all the association with Ronaldo and like all the legends and stuff. And like, I don't know, like Liverpool's a legendary club, but it's, I don't know, it's it's not, it's not got that same kind of like, like fanatical fame. I think it's, like I think, it, I think, I th Man United, Chelsea, like all of that kind of stuff. I think, like, that, I think it's because Man United and that is built around winning. Whereas I think the Liverpool brand is more built around like romanticism. More built yeah, around history. Never walk alone. Yeah, I don't even yeah. pay attention to sports, and I know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing, like, you'll never walk alone. The, this idea that, again, it, it gets come out to the people's club, that you have all these football fans standing at the beginning of a game, singing a pop song from the 60s in unison, like a choir, <laughs> is is insane. And again, it's just this, this idea of brotherhood and, and, that, and a sort of, Working class solidarity. Um, so yeah, so, so so I can really see why these people felt so angry and betrayed. So I, I guess mean, anyone who's watched Mike Bassett, England manager, uh, <laughs> will know that Wirral County never won the league, but they avoided relegation, and that's all that matters. Norwich City. Sorry, never, that was really irrelevant. Norwich are never going to win. Like, the league, but they still um, turning up the pricks. 
Can you explain what you mean with like with no was it regulation? Oh, relegation. relegation. Yeah. So, relegation. so, uh, so here we go. So, relegation yeah. is a British concept, it seems. Or yeah. So, most, no, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it happens in pretty much everywhere apart from America. So, traditionally, the bottom, you have like, I don't know, let's say you have the top league and mm. there's lots of leagues below. And so, the teams that finish in the bottom three, let's say, it's not always the bottom three, but let's say it's the bottom three, at the end of the season, they go down into the, into the league below. And the top three, uh, and the top three teams from the league below, go up into the top league, yeah. So yeah. obviously, and obviously, the problem with that is, for one of those clubs, is that obviously, if you go down, then you start you lose the money, the TV money, and all that kind of stuff that you were earning in the big league. So the whole point of not having this relegation is, is that then they never lose the money. Hmm. And obviously, if you're an American owner and you're used to your sports not having that and then suddenly you come into european football and it's like yeah if you get relegated or you don't qualify for this thing then you can't get the money they're gonna mm. be like well why don't we change the rules so we always get the money so that's okay. effectively what they tried to do but the whole point is is that part of football is that is that threat is that is that the the pain and ecstasy of it all yeah. I, I support a football team that in the last sort of four or five years has made a habit or let more than that seven years has made a habit of going up and down and it's horrible when you go down but the ecstasy of going up of getting promoted is unrivaled like you cannot that feeling is is bigger than anything And, and, and if there's no relegation winning doesn't really mean anything this is the thing like i feel like those matches towards the end of the season where it's like a battle for certain clubs to stay in the league. And it's more than just like, and and for some clubs as well, like you'll be getting relegated from a professional league to a non-professional league. This is people's careers and stuff. And like, not just that, but like everything changes, the money you pay your players, like everything. But this is like, in a way, that's kind of the driving force for like a lot of the drama and like the kind of need to succeed. Whereas without that, it's like the, it just the magic just goes. But I don't know. Like it's 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 the agony and the ecstasy is, is how it can be described, I guess. And 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 from that is where you get the stories. You know, the teams that come from nowhere to end up in the top league. You know, and that just wouldn't happen otherwise. But I think we should talk about the fans and why and why it didn't happen, why it went wrong. So basically, after it was announced. It was a huge negative reaction. So first of all, you start to have like people, like pundits and people on TV, like ex-footballers and stuff coming out, particularly Gary Neville, who's played for Manchester United, coming out saying it was completely wrong and and uh, coming against it. But then you had fans who started protesting at their stadiums. And it seems to me pretty obvious that this took the clubs by surprise. They weren't expecting it. They definitely were not expecting. I think they were expecting some negativity, but I don't think they were expecting fans to like literally protest. Um, and on, I can't remember which evening it was. The Chelsea fans were protesting, and literally it was loads of them. And um, one of Chelsea's directors, who used to be a player for them, Peter Cech, came out and actually spoke to the crowd to try and like calm them down. And then within about twenty minutes of that happening. Chelsea released their statement saying that they were going to leave the this agreement. So, and then as soon as Chelsea left the agreement, then we heard an announcement that Man City had left the agreement. And then as soon as those two had left the agreement, they basically everyone ended up leaving it, apart from the two Spanish, two of the Spanish teams, Real Madrid and Barcelona, who effectively are the only ones still in it, technically. Um, so, but it really shows you that fans still do have power. Yeah, but this can't be the end. It people, I, I really hope fans don't go. Okay, well we stopped it now. Let's go and sit down and pat ourselves on the back, because it's not going to. A, it's not going to go away. These owners are going to be like, it's like touching the the uh, the hob, right? They've they've burnt their fingers, but at the end of the day, they're still greedy fucks. So they're still going to want to make loads more money. So they're not just going to just go away about this so they're going to try and find a way to like sugarcoat it and do it again there's that and b 
it's not like football is wonderful now and and that like there's still too much disparity financially with clubs and there's still these clubs are still quite poorly run financially in the sense in the way that you know the owners make huge amounts of money and and then during the pandemic they were furloughing staff that just can't be right I know you've seen a few politicians and a few campaigners saying that this should actually should be the time where football fans in England campaign to change the way it's run and, mm. and try and get to like a German model where fans own like half of the, at least 50% of the club. Now, I think it's been very difficult to achieve, but this, this, there needs to be campaigns for like fans to have some more involvement in their club. And How return. does that work then? That's quite interesting. So they so, yeah, so, own. Yeah, so um, there are a couple of exceptions in, in Germany, but it is effectively the rule that that the fans should have a majority, like I think it's called 50 plus one rule, where the, uh, the fans should have a majority ownership of, of each club. Um, and that is why German football is a lot cheaper. Like it's a lot cheaper to go and watch a football match in Germany than it is here. And they're also better run. You don't get anywhere near the sort of corruption or uh, strangeness and, you know, clubs going randomly bankrupt for no reason and all that asset stripping. There's also more, like, dignity in it, I feel like, that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, like, you know, they try to, like, in America especially, like, make people feel like the fans are important, but they're not at all, you know? Um, And it's incredibly expensive to see games. (laughs) It's only important (laughs) if it's important. The purpose of, like, sports to me. But yeah, imagine imagine if imagine if your team won something, a trophy, and mm-hmm. you were a part owner of that team, even though it's one share, right? And you know that all your other fans have the one share too. Mm-hmm. It would feel so much better than if you were just like a paying, random paying person who, you know, goes to watch Manchester United and you know that actually it's wonderful that we won a trophy, but it really belongs right. to and American people value. act like they won they won the game or whatever like we won oh, we won we won last night and it's just like wait you didn't actually do anything like I don't mm. see like that's what I don't get about like a lot of sports and I'm like whoa like when people relate themselves that way and it's oh no how... I do that I do that DJ when when Fulham win it's we and when Fulham <laughs> lose it's them <laughs> see, so, but that's so usually I just say them so it's fine yeah, it's not weird. That kind of um ties into the thing we were just like talking about um earlier before we started recording, where I mentioned um sports being the way to instill loyalty in people because it creates that uh, us versus them, you know, um mentality. But like, that's not like that's not that's not um the criticism of sports. I don't think sports has to be like used that way. You know, I think sports can be more um more of a community or communitarian or whatever. <laughs> um, I, mean, I definitely hear what you're saying because like, and it's no secret that in football there's mm-hmm. a real problem with uh pretty much everything you can think of in the stadium. Which is very, which means it's a very, it can be very exclusive, at least the atmosphere and like the um, actually going and physically watching the sport can be very exclusive. And a, a lot of people would be scared to set foot uh, inside, for example, Stamford Bridge because <laughs> during like a, a Chelsea Tottenham game or something like that. Only, only when you're there, so yeah. I think, I think that's true. And I think like, we like beat each other up. Mm. Like, oh yeah, it gets so violent as well. It's crazy. But hooliganism, he- hooliganism. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of, again, a lot it's of. A history, there's it? a lot of analysis that's been written about it, about it being related to politics and, and, again, but I think some of it does trace back to this idea of. This alienation, of football fans, being alienated from from their football team and so almost looking for a new identity within yeah. within this thing so if we can't be part of it then we're the aggressor if that makes sense and i yeah. think i think that's an element of it 
Um, I think if, I think if um, sports in the UK and in the US ran a bit more like, was it Germany you were saying? Has that model where like mm-hmm. people own part of a club? If he if it if it had like a, a model like that, then there wouldn't really be like I don't know I can't really imagine there being like a reason for people to be like hooligans and stuff. I don't know. If, but I think part part of that hooliganism is um, connected to the don't, alienation. Don't get me wrong, there is still hooliganism in German football, but it's um, I I don't think it is quite as um, malignant as it is in our football. Mm. Um, but um, but yeah, it's interesting. I think I think completely with sports. I don't know. <laughs> I, but I re- I really think that model, the fifty plus one model, is really something that should be campaigned for. And I think again, I opening this out further. It's it's a sort of protest and campaigning one on one, isn't one on one, isn't it? Like you win something, or not even you win something, but you stop something from happening. The worst thing you can possibly do is pat yourself on the back and then go back to sitting on the sofa. Mm-hmm. When you've got that first victory, what you've got to do is then double down and push for something. Push, push for something more. I think uh, it just highlights that you know, like almost no one is safe as well. Like mm-hmm. because the owners of these clubs, they don't. A lot of them don't understand the importance of the sport to the fans and a lot of them don't even understand the sport and they probably don't even know the half the bloody rules that's what gary neville was saying and it's just like that's that's got to yeah that's that's also this that kind of that kind of thing isn't new and it isn't even just americans if you go back to the early 2000s and this is pretty much thing that every football fan knows and i'm sort of biased because i used to live near next to the stadium and bertie knows this and used to live opposite there was a, in, in there was a football team in, in the early 2000s that had been in the top league for a couple, for about 10, 20 years who basically went bankrupt, Wimbledon. And they effectively, someone bought them and said, okay, I'm only going to buy them if I can move this team out of South London and into uh, Mil- to a place called Milton Keynes, give them a different name, different colour, different, like basically make a different club with the same club, if that makes sense. And they were just allowed to do it. So all these fans that are grown up supporting this team and maybe their whole family's always supported this team and maybe they're from the area of Wimbledon. I'm not going to say they're from Wimbledon, but the area around Wimbledon, you know, Kingston, Merton, Morden, Sutton, all that sort of area. And then suddenly overnight, their football team has like been taken up by a helicopter and moved Plonked into Milton Keynes. Plonked into Milton Keynes. And the funny thing is, they kept the name. They called them the Dons. Milton Keynes Dons is what they yeah. call them. Yeah. And the so, Dons. so, and and some, if I'm being honest, some Wimbledon fans, some, I think a very small minority, decided to go and support the new team, which is mad considering they weren't, they were miles and miles away. But some decided to start their own club called AFC Wimbledon, and they had to start right at the bottom of the football pyramid. And again, imagine if we were in the American system, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be able to happen because they would start at the right at the bottom and they'd stay at the right at the bottom. But what happened was is that this team started right at the bottom and they just moved up the leagues and eventually they overtook the other team. Um, but I think they're now below that team again. I think they are now below that team again. But for a while they overtook them, um, which was a great story. Hmm. Wait, um, so is it kind of like in PE class and we would do games and then? Um... Sorry, it's just that I'm in like I'm parking for I think it's a boating club people. The white people are staring at the white people are staring. (laughs) They're like, Who is this black girl here? (laughs) Who is this who is this ethnic girl? You let in the blacks. Yeah, by the way, Wimbledon is 62 miles away from Milton Keynes. Yeah. So they moved the football team 62 miles. And realistically, if you were going to drive, you'd have to go all the way up the M25. Oh, man. And you'd have to go past loads of other football teams. 
Yeah, yeah, you probably pretty, passed like you basically Central. would pass Fulham. You might as well support Luton, uh, freaking. You'd pass. You would pass Fulham and Brentford. So Harriers. You would pass Fulham and Brentford on your way to Milton Keynes. Are yeah. there um, working class rugby teams? Uh, yes. I think. Yes, there are. I think. I think with rugby, um, rug, I would say north, certainly the n- northern rugby league teams. So this again, this is confusing. There's basically two types of rugby: um, rugby union, and rugby league. Um, in the north of England, rugby league is very popular, and that's very working class. Um, rugby union tends to be a bit more middle class. Um, traditionally, though, rugby is more upper class than football, though, isn't it? Well, there's that old story, isn't it? That that um, isn't it? Football is football was made made by the upper class and played by the and played by the working class and. Yeah. Rugby was invented by the working class and played by the middle class. Something like that, I can't remember. Yeah, I think that's probably right, yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. I've not. I've never really been a super rugby... I, I like rugby. I've been to a few rugby games. I've seen England play at Twickenham, but it's not... It's I'm not never, really big on it. It's never got me I'm in like, the same I mean, way. I'm not big on, like, most sports, but there's sports that I like to watch more than others. It's usually, like, football and basketball. I like to watch. Well, who's your football team? I actually don't mind watching football or, I guess, soccer teams in um, America as well. But yeah, like, you got to support Seattle Sounders now. But yeah, well, so, wait, Sounders don't exist anymore. Do they not? Wait, let me. Because I think Sounders was um, bought. Wait. You could support the Portland Timbers. Oh no, the Seattle Sounders still exist. Oh no, it does. Oh wait, or am I thinking of? I'm thinking of a different team. That I'm thinking of. Is it a basketball team? I, I know about Seattle Sounders because uh, Clint Dempsey used to play for them, and he was basically the best. The player. Was your hero, like, wasn't he? Yeah. Wait. To be fair, oh, a, lot of, a lot of the legends go and play in in in, in the MLS. Like, sorry, I I was thinking of um Seattle Sonics, who was a basketball team, and doesn't exist. Uh, I'm just gonna look up who who plays for LA Galaxy now, because I'm interested. But like, but, I but sometimes you, wonder I, if like if if like American football tries to like push the other sports to the side just because it's like the. Wait, who is your basketball team? Because everyone has a team. Who is your basketball team? Oh, oh, I'm a Lakers fan. Yeah, I thought so. I, I knew that. Huh? What's What's my team? Um, Boston supporter. Boston. Yeah. You think I'm a Boston supporter? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that actually. What? Because I like crime movies and <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, what is it? Not like the Houston Parrots or whatever. Yeah, to be honest, it would be them or the Chicago Bulls. To be honest, that was a made-up team. The Houston Parrots don't exist. I think no. I mean, I think it'd be the Boston Celtics or Celtics, I suppose, or maybe the Brooklyn Nets. I don't know because it's Brooklyn. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I think we've got to go for. I think we got to go for Boston Celtics. You guys seen the film Coach Carter? I like Boston Celtics. <laughs> So we can go the game. Coach Carter's a great film. Gotta go watch the Boston Celtics. And who's your soccer team? Seattle. I like I like to watch. Um, like I'm not I'm not like I don't really follow follow teams that much. I just I, there's some games I like to watch more than others. I like to watch football slash soccer and basketball. I'm not really a fan of rugby or American football that much. What about baseball? Mm, it's okay like I, baseball like baseball's like I'll go I like they're, baseball's only fun to watch when you're like there I feel like mm. I my favourite baseball team is the Chicago Cubs literally because I got like a t-shirt from Chicago Cubs that my uncle b- bought me <laughs> as a kid and I was like yeah that's cool and also they got some really cool famous fans like Bill Murray so like that's like yeah I mean I would quite like just to go and just see a baseball game, see like a basketball game, because 
I don't know. You guys, I don't know. You do some cool shit. You you know, you have like the... You guys. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't know. I just feel like you sports lost. a little bit more like... You lost. It's a little bit more like entertainment focused in America. Whereas in like in the UK, it's kind of all about the grit, isn't it? Especially with like football, it's all about the grit and the pain. Whereas yeah, like sometimes, sometimes you just want to be feeling like, like you're... Like you're watching yeah, a film. That's you know? part of the reason I'm not a big fan of like American footballs. I know. I'm not gonna lie, right? When I first watched, I don't know. When I yeah, first watched the baseball, Super Bowl, yeah, like when it. I first watched the Super Bowl a year now, I was like, "The fuck is going?" I'm just so confused. Yeah, like, I, I swear, like, like it's like half time. It was like half time. I was like, "What?" Like 15 minutes, and then they switch, they switch round. It's like I was like, "No, there's gonna be like Shakira's gonna sing." I was like, "Shakira's gonna sing." Mm. <laughs> oh well, wait, the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's really confused what's oh, going yeah. on. I, I like, mean, is that part of the sport? Okay. I, I was like, is this really? I was like, is this really sport or is this just like a TV show? Like, come the, on. The Super Bowl. They're smart though. Be, like during the Super Bowl, that they know not everyone's there to watch it. Like, not everyone cares about the sport, so it's like, but they get people to watch it because, say, like you're in, you're you're in a household and some people like it for the sports, but like other people will watch it too just because they like the entertainment or the commercials. The commercials, the adverts, it's one of the most advertised, uh, I think it's the most advertised sport in, in the whole sporting calendar, isn't it? Yeah. Can, I can I just say, DJ said sport in a Boston accent, and it was really great. Sport. funny. She, no. she, was, she was like talking this way, sports. Sport. Boston? Sports. You're like, sports. Sports in sports. Sports. <laughs> Boston sports teams. I was watching a, a crime thing about, and it was set in, in Washington. And it, was, and it was just hilarious the way they all thought. I was like, I was like, I really didn't think they actually really spoke like that. I thought it was just like the accents they have in films. It's like, oh my God, I went to a um, Red Sox game in Boston. Red Sox game. That was actually pretty fun, even though I'm not a big fan of baseball. I think it was just because, see, like, I'm the kind of person where I cannot give a shit about like a certain sport, but like, I might enjoy it in person just for the ambiance and like if it's like an important team. And it was about film. It was like Red was it Red Sox and um Yankees, I think. Red Sox is in that film money. Exactly. So like I was just having fun, like people were just having a go at each other. I would support Red Sox every day over over uh, Yankees. And the were were uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck there. Because they go to like pretty much every Boston Red Sox game together, like a little. Marathon. It was pretty fun, though. So there's a lot of races in Boston. A lot of races. Just ask you guys: Have you seen the film Moneyball? Yes, Brad Pitt. And that is that is the Red Sox, isn't it? I think it is. I know yeah. it's Brad Pitt, but and that's the other thing about okay, ah, Moneyball is a good point, though, because Moneyball has come into football. It's pretty much come into every sport now. See, do you know about Moneyball, DJ? This sounds familiar. Okay, so the whole idea of Moneyball was basically taking science and statistics into sport, particularly mm. in the baseball. So basically this guy started treating it like sort of like a spreadsheet. So it was like rather than like uh, getting players based on like how you watch them, it was more about, well, actually, this is what the stats say about this person. And it mattered a lot less what they looked like or how they were doing. So basically everything was then based on statistics. Mm-hmm. And it meant they did really well from it. They, their performances um, improved and they had a lot of success from this strategy. And so now it's moved into other sports. And it started, I guess, about 10 years ago, moving into football. And I would say the first, most of the football teams that have adopted it in this country has gone really badly wrong. Um, even my football team has done it and it went badly wrong. And I think that's because there are more variables in football than there are in baseball. Because in the day, whatever you, whatever your tactic is in baseball, it's, at the end of the day, it's still someone throwing a ball or someone to hit. Like that's there's yeah. not much variable in that. Whereas in like football, there's a lot more tactics and a lot more different things. And don't you know I mean other, you know, um, and also in baseball, you're only really dealing with one league. You don't have like different styles of baseball. Whereas in like, you could have the stats on someone who plays in Spain for football, like football mm-hmm. in Spain, and the stats for someone who plays football in Scotland. And it's basically completely different stuff. <laughs> I mean, so Scotland is just like fucking boot over the head. Yeah, get your like on that a million headers a day, headers, <laughs> headers a game. Get uh, the ball in the sky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> boot that ball for if and don't hit it out. Yeah, use your leg. I don't, I don't know anything about about 
baseball sets and rolls. I just know, like, my my dad used to play, like, fantasy baseball. Yeah, classic. And I, like, I was, I would walk in his office, like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, it's a game. I'm like, like a game. And you're like, you're not, nothing's moving on the screen. It's just a bunch of numbers. <laughs> Yeah. But and that's okay. But also, the Moneyball thing comes very much fantasy league, league plays into that because that's mm-hmm. stats based. So that's in some yeah. ways they're related. But increasingly, you are actually seeing in this country some teams are getting the stats thing right. And pretty much now, every football team has some sort of statistic, stats department. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's I mean, a team. Uh... There's a team that's got it in the championship. The the one below the top league, Brentford, who basically the whole scouting method is based around stats. And it's worked really well for them because they've got like players for like nothing, and then sold them for loads of money. I mean, you can understand that. I feel, I feel like, yeah, if, you, if any kind of market analysis will be like where you've got a budget and shit will be will be made more slick and optimized if you if you use some form of data analysis. Um, but you know, like, there are some people who are even trying to like predict scores of matches using like machine learning learning algorithms. You heard about that? So they're basically looking at like the history of say Arsenal playing away, and they'll say, "Well, what's the likelihood they're going to lose away next week?" Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that's a bit bonkers personally because you know, I I just think that because there's so many variables. There's so many variables, and also every let's be real, like every football match is an independent event of a previous football match theoretically, excluding maybe like the odd injury or something like that. But like, you just don't know what's going to. Particularly happen. if you've got David Luiz playing for you. Yeah, exactly. Like that's Arsenal, but like for example, Chelsea lost to West Brom five two the other day, and that was that was pretty out of the blue. Not just the scoreline, but the it was just yeah, I don't know. The algorithm just would not predict that. I wouldn't think. Very true. Very true. I was just thinking, I'm kind of like a hypocrite because I make fun of hooligans, and like I don't, I don't normally care about sports, but then like whenever something, something like you know, like, um, World Cup or whatever happens. I just... <laughs> I can be, like, such an asshole <laughs> to people. I don't know what it is, but only really the World Cup for some reason. Uh, America, the U.S. wasn't even in the last World Cup. Huh? They said US... I wrote for America. Well, who do you support in the World Cup, then? Depends. Sometimes depends. France. Depends who's winning. France. Oh, yeah. yeah. So are you happy then when, so when France actually, won the World Cup? I actually kind of, I actually kind of like, um, I think I kind of make, I choose teams that I want to root for, like, based on like a, like, geopolitical. <laughs> well, I, I, was fun. <laughs> mine is based on three things. My second team is based on geopolitics. Mm-hmm. My relationships at the time, yeah. um, and the kits. Now, for example, Nigeria. Nigeria had a really awesome kit. Oh, they had a smashing kit. And I was like, I want to see that kit every week. So yeah, I'm, fair, I want Nigeria to win the World Cup so I, I can see that see awesome that kit. kit. Like, Wait, I don't even know what that means. Like their jersey. Oh, okay. Okay, I, I thought it was like their fit or something. Oh, <laughs> their fit. I'm sure Nigeria has some. Victor Moses is a very attractive young man. Um, <laughs> should we move on to some funny stories? Yes, we should. This is the most important story we will ever cover on this on this podcast. By the way, okay. and that is that is the fact that one of our one of the people in this call DJ is is famous because Aldi, okay. the supermarket chain Aldi, is selling a cake in uh-huh. named after Bertie. It's called Cuthbert the Caterpillar Cake. Caterpillar. And Marks and Spencers are suing Aldi because they think it's a ripoff of its Colin the Caterpillar Cake. And Aldi <laughs> are like, come on, it's a fucking cake shaped like a caterpillar. <laughs> like, why the fuck are you suing us about this? Can I just say, they fucking nailed the name. They should fight to the death. <laughs> Colin Butters Cuthbert. But I don't think there is a single person out there that I've spoken to or even... I can't even imagine a single person that's like, yeah, come on, MS, you should t- that's such a ripoff. Like it's a fucking cake. And let's you be know, honest, um, I'm pretty sure the kind of people that go to Marks and Spencer's to buy cakes are not the kind of people that go to Aldi to buy cakes. So what's the fucking problem? I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I feel like that's such an MS thing to do. Like, we're better than you. Oh, you stole our idea. And it's like, you know, Brewdog, 
You know, yeah. like Aldi did a fake Brewdog, right? I love how Brewdog just went straight back and they were like, we're going to do a fake Aldi IPA. And then Aldi were like, we're going to outdo you. We're going to sell your fake Aldi IPA in Aldi. <laughs> so you're buying a, a rip-off Brewdog, rip-off Aldi IPA in Aldi. I think it's a Mitchell and Webb sketch where they're like gambling in a casino, but they're like playing with cakes. Do you know what I'm talking about? They're like playing with... No, they have to guess the size of the fruitcakes or something. That rings a bell, I think. It does ring a bell. Yeah. <laughs> I was just meant that like that's the kind of thing they could do. <laughs> They're like super serious about it and everything. I'll, I'll, send, I'll, send, um, I'll send a link in the chat afterwards. Bertie, what is your reaction to being the cake gate? Uh, is that what called? Cake gate? Yes. Um, well, I actually just think Colin and Cuthbert should fight it to the death. No, I just think, yeah, like I said, I just think... Choc- like, chocolate cake wrestling sounds quite sexual to Audi, me. Audi do what Audi do best. They make rip-offs of other shit. And, like, come on, like, m s do you really think you're the first? Like, uh, do you think, also, does does anyone, like, is it is it an m s thing? Are they the only ones to make a caterpillar cake? I'm sure that idea isn't owned by them is it I, maybe it is maybe i'm sorry if i'm insulting anyone who works at mns who knows that i'm pretty sure but, but also who cares like yeah like, who, who, it's a fucking caterpillar cake it's not but, like it's not but, like they've named their shop smarks and mensas like it's it's <laughs> well i mean they, i reckon they could you know they just call it an snm birthday cake instead of an mns birthday that's cake. that's a very different rather i think that i think that would be more I think that would be more reflective of a Cuthbert cake, to be honest. I reckon you'd sell it quite well, though, with that. I think, you would, sell it, I think you would sell it quite well, Bertie. Mm, thank you. TJ looks like she's just had some MDMA. Um, she's just grinding her teeth a lot. So we move on to the next story, which is regarding the late Prince Philip, who we know passed away several weeks ago. It turns out Prince Philip was obsessed with UFOs, I know DJ's going to be so tempted to unmute herself for this. Was obsessed with UFOs and collected loads of books about aliens. Uh, some would say he was trying to return to his home planet. So it turns out the Duke was fascinated with close encounters and had a sizable collection of books. He was also a regular subscriber to the Flying Saucer Review and had given his former assistant a blank uh, slate to collect stories about UFOs. I love that. Um, so yeah, respect for that. I have to say, Prince Philip is basically a conspiracy theorist, which kind of, kind of adds up, doesn't it? Maybe it's not what you expected. I feel like I feel like I learned a little bit more about Prince Philip when he died. I think I didn't. I don't think I realized how kind how, of, nu- how nuts he was. You know the funniest like, thing about Prince Philip's death that I just think is so great is that he didn't even make it to one hundred years old, and he got that old and that ugly and he could even make it to 100 but also when you get to 100 you get a letter from the you get a letter from the queen a telegram for the queen so do you think the queen's like oh i can't really be bothered to write phil phil uh, telegram like you know waggle the tubes a little bit i honestly didn't think i thought he'd make it to 100 i thought he was going to do it i thought he was already dead if anyone was going to make it to 100 It'd be old Duke of Edinburgh, wouldn't it? Yeah. The guy who invented the Duke of Edinburgh Award, which made everyone walk miles and miles and saw legs. You know, you think that guy who, who did that, it was all about endurance and like personal development. You think you'd make it to. So I'm, a little, I'm not going to lie, I was a little. I thought concerned. it would take a stick to the heart to actually kill him. I mean, he's rumored, he is rumored to have looked a little bit like Count Dracula in a black suit when he wore one. Or Mr. Burns. So he is upset. He was obsessed with UFOs. I kind of reminds me of that Bill. It was a Bill Hicks joke about how, isn't it weird how UFOs only ever seems to land in sort of like backward American towns where people are inbred, and their idea is to bring rifles um, to welcome the aliens. So yeah, clearly Prince Philip is. It certainly takes the inbred. So are inbred people just like naturally like in like just attracted to the idea of aliens for some reason? Yeah, I, I wonder why that is. It's specifically UFOs that he was interested in. It wasn't like um, big on all the kind of space stuff and like 
just interested or does oh, he, i thought you meant is it aliens as well or just the ships <laughs> i don't believe yeah in aliens. yeah i don't believe in aliens, in aliens? <laughs> are you interested in the object you know i'm not interested in, aliens. in abductions it all I, I don't believe in aliens but i believe in alien engineering like German engineering, but, um, very reliable. But yeah, no, it's, it's kind of weird. But okay, should we go for the last story then? Yeah, go on. The last story is a man tried to mail himself to Wales from Australia after getting homesick. Was he was he mailing himself to Wales or New South Wales? To actual Wales, right? Actual South Wales. Brian Robson was 19 years old when he decided to go ahead with a stupid plan to get home to Wales in 1965. After 11 months down under, he was feeling desperately homesick. But the £40 a month he made working for Victorian Railways wasn't nearly enough to cover a plane ticket. But after being talked into it for about a week, two friends and colleagues, who were from Ireland, known only to Brian as Paul and John, helped him get into a box the size of a fridge. They nailed, nailed it shut, fucking hell, they nailed it shut, and sent him off as cargo on a flight from Melbourne to London. At least that was the plan. Apparently he was against it, but they encouraged him to do it. Wow. In the box, he brought pillows with him. I'm sorry, did you say a man mailed himself to Wales? I think he tried to. I, I, we, I haven't got to the conclusion yet. Yeah. It, in the box, he brought with him some pillows, a torch, a suitcase, and a book of Beatles songs. I'm not sure that even a book of Beatles songs. I mean, like, lyrics? hold on. There must be so many, like, issues with this. Did he make a little hole so he could do pee? Well, he, oh. he had t- two bottles, one for water, one for urine. Oh my god! I reckon it just one I reckon it was just one bottle. Fuck's sake! The golden sauce, um, the mellow yellow. Brian, who can is now s- an episode where I can talk about how fucking slow Americans drive because what the fuck? Yeah, sure. Like it's so weird. Like, what's the point of creating motor vehicles if you like? You know, I like to put motor, them in motor vehicles, automobile. But I don't care because I'm fast and I'm a good driver and I want to go places. Like, what's the point of driving if you're not fucking moving? If you're not going faster than a bike, what's the point? Like, if you're late, all you have to do is drive 100 miles per hour. And if everyone was driving fast, you know, like, it's the reason why you can get away with like driving fast in like uh, countries in Europe because like. People don't get pulled over because everyone's driving fast. Do you, everyone just makes so because like you're supposed to keep oh, up with traffic. You're so driving like somewhere like Greece. Yeah. Do you think you should roll down your window and do an impression of someone from Boston? <laughs> what the fuck are you doing him? <laughs> <laughs> I do this thing though where I'm like, go, go, and people aren't like moving past like quick enough so I can get into another lane. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to derail the conversation. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what I was saying. Okay, Brian, who's now 75, wasn't expecting a luxurious trip but he because he knew it was a 36-hour flight, but it ended up lasting four days. The flight was full, so his box was put on a slower flight that went to Los Angeles. Cool, nice. Slow so trip. Brian ended up in Los Angeles, and he got put in the hole, airplane hold, and it was freezing cold, and he struggled to breathe. Okay. He was left upside down for 22 hours, even though there was this side up labels. And when he landed in LA, he thought he was in London. <laughs> but after being carted off to a freight shed, he peeked through a hole in the chest and caught eyes with a frightened US customs official who thought there was a dead body inside. <laughs> He was then interrogated by the FBI who wanted to make sure he wasn't a Cold War spy. Once they were satisfied he wasn't a threat, authorities decided not to press charges and instead sent him back to London. (laughs) Brian's legs had seized up inside the box, so he had to recover in hospital first before his journey. It's really not worth it, is it? You see, if your friends were good friends, they'd they'd say, yeah, mate, we'll, 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 we'll... Well, the best thing is to your flight instead of saying, "Yeah, we're going to fucking nail you in a box." The best like, thing, the best, I love the, the fact that he was against it. Like, guys, I really don't think this is going on here. And they're like, "Get in the fucking box." Do the it. Best, best thing is he's tried to write to those friends, and they've he's never heard from them. He said he wants to say thank you. <laughs> thanks, yeah, thanks so much. Well, they probably they probably mm-hmm. care so much right now. You know, we, yeah, they're like, "Thank God we got rid of that that guy." Fucking nailed him in a box. Apparently, they're making a film about it. So. 
Look forward to that. Oh, I look forward to that. The Crate Escape, I think is what it's called. I think on that note, we will bring the podcast to an end. So thank you very much, everybody. Thank you for your road rage, DJ. Thank you. And uh, stay dangerous, everybody. And we will see y'all next week. Ciao. Bye. Bye.